Can we just start off saying how much we miss y'all? Oh my god. Like seriously, we're sorry for the long break. Yeah. But we promise it was necessary. And you'll see why. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. But before we even get into any of that, we really just need to take a moment to celebrate all of the black lives who have lived through this year. Which, seriously, that's a triumph even of itself. 2020 has been a lot. And we want to honor all of the lives who we've lost or who has transitioned because we certainly keep a big portion of them. Um, And one in particular is Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. Just saying his name just fills my whole body full of emotion. Losing him this year and then finding out that he was battling cancer in silence Mm. for four years while still showing up for all of us. Yeah. I mean, that was like really devastating. Really, really devastating. Seriously. You saw those interviews? I did. Boy, it's like once you know the truth, you just see it in their eyes. I just feel like he, he's so special. He's so special because, you know, we have a relationship with his, his public path, like what he chose to show up and to do. But to know that he was doing that and still, you know, dealing with what he was dealing with, um, with his cancer, it just, it makes you feel so grateful And so blessed that he still chose us. He still chose to serve in that way. Put those stories out there. Yes. Oh my God. It's like you even look at the catalog that he chose. Exactly. Everything from Jackie Robinson to Marshall to Message from the King, actually. I found that recently. That was like from 2017. It's everything he made was so on purpose, so on time. It was a banger. I found myself saying, like, you know, if he had more time, you know, we always say if we had more time, what would we do? He would be like the next Denzel Washington. And I'm like, no, he was the first and only Chadwick. And that was more than enough, you know? So um, I actually watched Black Panther again this past weekend, partly because, you know, I missed him. (laughs) And partly because it's one of the best movies alive, Wakanda. Um, but what's fascinating, I think, is like in, in doing that, just being reminded of how much he still gave, you know, yeah. um, have you ever watched something, but in watched it from a different space, but got something completely different the, the next time you watched it? It's how I felt when I watched it. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> like, this is so much better than I remember. Yeah. And within, you know. I, how I feel about Killmonger. I mean, when I first got my dress, I had a little Killmonger going. We, we won that competition. Shout out from Halloween. <laughs> what year was that? Was that 2018? And that was right after the movie dropped. And we... Yeah, we did that cast. We had the whole cast. I was queen mother. At work. I mean, we had, we had like six people. Yeah, checks the Instagram. We had a whole like <laughs> skit, everything. We got all the money. <laughs> it was so good. That, but yeah, I mean, so going back and watching it and just really, you know, trying to, to show Black Panther the character more love. Uh, yeah. You know, I got to see the conflict between Black Panther and Killmonger more. And to me... It represents the same internal conflict, that same duality that we as black people have been wrestling with for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, for centuries. Mm -hmm. It's not nearly new at all, but it has been amplified in 2020 as we watch what feels like a never-ending assault on black lives, which is what Killmonger was was fighting against. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I feel like when you understand the depth of the characters and how they were simply responding to their own trauma, you know, in different ways, and you really can understand that neither can be quote unquote good or quote unquote bad in the traditional sense, they were simply two black people making the best choices that they could given their circumstances and you really just understand them because you see them like we are them Mm -hmm. their opposing struggle held though in just one body and i totally agree and so i think about our audience our tribe and i know that they know how it feels you know how it feels to live lives of excellence that are neither seen nor validated by dominant society Black people who are still wrestling with the complexity of their American experience. Each day, we code switch between realities while normalizing our own wounds. And we need a safe space. Yeah. You need a safe space. One that we recognizes, need a safe space. Yeah, we, we need a safe space. <laughs> yeah. One that recognizes our tunis and that honors our journey and tells the full truth. Mm-hmm. Giving permission to be unapologetically whole. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So earlier this year, we talked about BTS, Black Traumatic Stress. Now, this was before COVID. This was before the second civil rights movement. Like This was back in February, you know, when we were just dealing with regular Black stress. Long time ago, right? Long (laughs) seems like forever ago. Um, and we we talked about it from that perspective. We broke down the misconceptions about stress, the various definitions of trauma, and what it looks like when it shows up just in everyday life, and specifically how unique it is within the Black experience. And we dove into different ways that you know we personally navigate daily microaggressions and and things like that. So if you haven't checked that episode out, I would definitely recommend that you go. Back back and listen to that yeah it's almost like a a necessity at this point you know you gotta go back and hear that yeah it just gives you a real perspective of where we're at um and i think you'll relate and be like i'm there too so 2020 has been a transformational year for sure um the whole covid experience is definitely a first at least in my lifetime um where the whole world is sharing the single moment And actually, when you consider the attack on democracy that's happening in Hong Kong right now and other parts of the world, things start to look a lot like what's happening here post Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. It's as if some of us are having this collective experience of oppression and emancipation. But on the other side of the coin, it's one of those rare times where the whole world starts to feel like it's slowing down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in America, we're busy. We have our daily duties to ourselves, our employers, our families, and then we keep ourselves even busier with outings, entertainment, social media, sports. I mean, if you're being safe, though. Yeah, if you're being safe, right? So (laughs) don't don't get me started. That's not what this conversation is about. True indeed, but folks stay busy, though. They they do. They do. The global quarantine brought the idea that all of these things, though, are necessary, and it brought it to its knees. And it's, it's basically like everything that you thought that you needed to do with your time is not true. Facts. And so what are we left with after all that? Our thoughts? Mm-hmm. We're left with our accomplishments, our failures, our trauma. I mean, really, we're left with ourselves. Right. Um, and to me, this time has been the ultimate test of self and really the ultimate question of who are you? Really? Right. Ooh, that's good. 
That's good. I, I absolutely. I think that is a question that everyone should be wrestling with if they haven't already. Um, but I'll tell you another question that I've continuously received um, through this year from my white colleagues and associates who want to be allies, you know, um, but they feel really lost by what's going on right now. And that question is, what is happening in America? What is happening with black people? Why are they really upset? You know, and how can I best support you? And I'll be honest, it's a hard question to hear um, and to answer because the question alone, though it is, is in good intent, is evidence of the chasm between our experiences, you know, but it is still one that I deeply hope that we can offer insight to through this episode. Uh, when we talked about BTS and one thing that we definitely do in this uh, environment is to be unapologetically us, which is why I cherish it so much. Um, but when we talked about that, we, we wanted to come back with more ways to understand what everyday trauma really looks like, but how to deal with it. And I know that 2020 has required us to really get creative mm -hmm. to figure out what are we doing? How do I navigate this? So yeah. I think that that's what this episode is really about, right? Like it's for everyone who's tired of stuffing themselves into boxes that don't fit. They're tired of the shift in the code switch on a regular basis. Yeah. And they want more creative ways to just release that burden, to not put their eyebrows on for the Zoom meeting, to not have to show up pristine in what? someone else's eyes. Wait, go back to that, that other one about you got to put eyebrows this, on? These eyebrows. Wait, those aren't your, those these, aren't your eyebrows? These eyebrows <laughs> are of the enemy. <laughs> they are not for us. They do not serve us. <laughs> so, you know, this this episode really is for that. It's for the authenticity, you know. Um, and it's it's leaning into stories that give us hope. And give us healing so that we can thrive and not just survive. But I want to be clear that finding stories that give us hope doesn't necessarily mean tuning out the ones that are hard to watch. Right. It doesn't mean only listening to the ones that make us feel good. But it absolutely means opening ourselves up to the full complexity of our whole story of the truth in our story, and then deciding what we want to make it mean about ourselves and for ourselves. So what does it mean that a black man, Jacob Blake, can be shot seven times in the back by a police officer without committing a crime, and then during a protest advocating for his justice, 17-year-old white male Kyle Rittenhouse can cross state lines with an assault weapon that he was not legally old enough to possess, shoot three people, two of which died, walk past the police with his hands up, be ignored, and then have time to make it back home to Illinois before voluntarily turning himself in. What does that mean? It means that contrary to popular belief, there are still very present evidence of intrinsic bias, prejudice, that is converted into systemic racism 
that influences the systems that control our lives and our safety and the constant witness of it is traumatic. I was listening to Chris Weber um, when he was responding to the NBA walkout because you remember um, after this happened, the NBA uh, the NBA was in their finals and uh, Milwaukee, they were like, we're not playing. And so he was asked to speak to the frustration um, that was being felt in the bubble. And he makes a point that, yes, the bubble that the world has been in, you know, since COVID has taken a lot of distractions out of the way. And sports has been a very wonderful distraction from the stress that many people have uh, really just held on to. There's holding on to sports and um, using that as a a release. But he makes a, a point about sports should not be a distraction for the marginalization of human beings. The bubble can be traumatic because you can't reach out. But how traumatic is it for kids in Milwaukee, in Detroit, to watch the news and to know that they can be killed? That's trauma. If you look at studies done and they talk about trauma, like, I can't... EJ, the only reason why I watch the videos of the death of black men, and this is just going to take it way back on something else, is because Emmett Till's mother decided to put him on the cover and decided to put his picture out there when he was so brutally killed years ago. And I always think about her strength. Because if she didn't put that picture out to show what lynching, what the KKK, what others were doing, that, that right there opened America's eyes in a lot of ways. There's a lot of conversation around whether to watch these videos that surface of our black men and women being shot and in some cases losing their lives right on camera. Uh, I used to watch because I wanted to see the truth. I wanted to feel the truth. I wanted to be angry. And I felt like the only way to get there was to go past the words of an article and watch it in motion. But, I mean, just the con- consistency of it, it's just, I'm not sure that that's the right thing anymore. I don't know. I mean, that's hard to say because I can definitely say it is, it's difficult for me. It's very, very difficult for me to consume it because um, it's very heavy. But he made an excellent point um, about Emmett Till's mother and the strength that she had to have to show those pictures to make that public, to take the shame and the secrecy out of the mutilation and the brutality of what, you know, our ancestors have been experiencing are still experiencing. And so then you fast forward to the effectiveness of the civil rights movement. I will go so far to say as seeing those protests on television and to see how they were brutally attacked on television being aired into the homes um, of, of Americans had an impact on the laws that were passed during the civil rights movement. I really do. So I think that it is important that we still watch it and that we still see it, but we cannot ignore the impact of the trauma um, and, and what it's doing to us as we consume it and the, the balance that we have to have for it. You know, and he talks about what that everyday trauma looks like and even how it manifests and what we need to be mindful of while we're consuming it. So the trauma, I can't watch the news. That's the trauma or the trauma is to become um, cynical. 
oh, he should have done this or oh, another one. No, that's the trauma when you accept this new norm as for what it should be. Or when they tell you, quit pulling out the black card or quit being racist or that guy was a criminal or you can kill someone because they did something wrong. No, that's the trauma. And I get it. You know, anytime, you know, I tell someone that our podcast talks about releasing the burden of black trauma, even if I'm talking to black people, the general response is something like, oh, snap. Oh, Lord. (laughs) And I think that's because when people think of the word trauma, they automatically think that it will be too heavy to hold. You know, it'd be us spending time talking about all that is wrong with us or with black people. But that's not the case at all. Let me remind everyone that we are the descendants of those who survived. And so what does that mean? It means we are not broken. Don't ever get it confused and never forget every thought, every habit that we have, whether it serves us now or it served us then, was born and conceived as a normal response with the best intention to help us survive whatever jacked up circumstances we experienced, whether that was becoming cynical because we thought that that would protect us from being hurt again, whether that was questioning our own reality because we had been gaslit for so long or having fear to be our authentic selves because of speaking our truth and the consequence that that would have to our our livelihood. But we are here to remind us that we can speak, we can be authentic, and we can feel all of the feelings and we can choose a different way to respond that serves us. And so I think it's really important with that said that we, we remember something really important and it's not what's wrong with the person. It's Mm. what happened. Right. Our goal here is to create safe and sacred space to see our individual and collective trauma and explore what it might look like to live healthier, more balanced lives full of intentionality and passion. And we dig into the ordinary stories of black folks and celebrate the extraordinary stories and characters who tell them. Yeah, for sure. So what have our ordinary stories looked like in 2020? Where have we been and Ooh. how have we been handling our own trauma? Ooh, child. Can, can you tell them? Oh, my or, God. What, what, what have we been doing with our time? <laughs> so 2020 has been something. So the, the first phase of COVID shut down back in March. Remember when that one was announced? And we didn't even know what was, we thought it was going to end eventually. Um, But we lost access to our recording equipment. So um, we decided to wait it out. And that's why we put a pause on recording for a minute. But during that short pause, my father actually passed um, as a result of the virus. States away, he was in Michigan. And Keith, you lost a loved one as well. I did, my uncle. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we both um, experienced what it was like to organize funerals and say our goodbyes over Zoom. That was different, man. That was different. And we did our best. You know, we did our best to tread water. I remember my, my father's service was the 22nd of May. And like that week, George Floyd was publicly lynched and the revolution was televised depleted, quarantined, you know, we signed into virtual meetings at work, still um, homeschooling our kids. You know, our daughters were still doing e-learning before we knew that was going to be the new norm too. 
um, carrying the collective grief of our communities. We still wore a smile in a corporate culture that pretended not to notice. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah. It, was, it was, it still is. And I mean, I, I tell people all the time, we're not even in the fourth quarter yet, you know, <laughs> right. not to mention, you know, we have a historic collection coming up. We got the first black and South Asian woman ever nominated to the VPC. Mm-hmm. Come while, on, Kamala. While overt racism plagues the administration, voter suppression is at an all-time high. And for the first time in history, when vote-by-mail is needed more than ever, the Postal Service Postmaster General is being investigated for collusion and potentially tampering with delivery times. It's yeah. hard. It's crazy. It's it so much. Like, I feel like 2020 was Pandora's box and she didn't listen. It's like, girl, somebody told you to sit down. Someone told you not to open the box. <laughs> but I feel like it, it's necessary. You know, I think we need to remember too, like, why we started this podcast in the first place. And when we did, it was right after the World Health Organization reclassified burnout as a mental health condition. You remember that? I do. I was so blown away. I was like, oh my God, yes, this human induced disorder (laughs) of making us do too much is finally recognized. And it was clear even then that we needed a space to heal and recharge because we were exhausted. And that was just from entrepreneurship, parenthood, you know, full-time employment, and then the compounded stress of navigating them while being black in America. So you know, we code shifted then. I think that none of those things have gone away. All of those things are are consistent, right? And we stuffed our feelings and we assimilated and, and we left pieces of ourselves at the door. But the Griot's podcast is where we picked them up again. And so the 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 same reasons that initially were roadblocks that prevented us from getting back into the studio, from recording, from creating this content for us, for you, is the exact same reason why we have to do it again, why we couldn't stay silent anymore. You know, but why, Keith, are we still talking about trauma? Because it's still happening. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> because the difference between PTSD and black traumatic stress is that PTSD describes a reaction from an event that eventually ends. If we're talking about traumatic childhood, the child eventually becomes an adult. But with BTS, we're experiencing a sustained trauma that has never ended. No. Um, the assault on black lives has been constant in this country. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in... China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech somewhere I read of the freedom of press somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right every time I watch that clip it's just so powerful the strength in his words as he calls out our American right to assemble and protest for our rights 
that right there hits extra hard right now. Oh my God, yes. Because black people have been responding to a traumatic American experience for a long time. You know, we've resisted through protests, insurrection, integration, adaptation, suppression, avoidance, advocacy, and really every other means imaginable. This has been a very long conversation and a very long road to walk. And to be confronted in 2020 with the miseducation and unawareness of that struggle, it can sometimes feel like we're starting from the beginning all over again. Like this conversation hasn't happened before. And people love to use MLK as an example of progress and peaceful protests. But the hard truth that we must acknowledge is, yeah, but they assassinated him too. Mm-hmm. Kaepernick does one of the most influential peaceful protests of our generation by taking a knee and he's called an SOB. But wait though, everyone wanted to say that taking a knee was so disrespectful to our service members and to the flag. You remember that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still happening. I mean, still, (laughs) they're just now figuring out like, oh wait, that was powerful. But did you know that when Kaepernick was considering his whole strategy for peaceful protest, he was advised by another NFL player, a white man named Nate Boyer, who's an army veteran, Green Beret. And he told Kaepernick that he thought kneeling was the best way to show respect and solidarity. So what does that mean? Mm. I'm going to tell you what it means. It means that not only are we asked to re-educate America to her own story, which happens to include our story, but historically have been dictated to when it comes to what is quote unquote acceptable. What does acceptable protests look like? We are scolded for how, when, and where Black people are allowed to protest or express their feelings, express their outrage at injustice and exhaustion. And it's not right. It's so important that we own our feelings and how we express them, and that we remind ourselves. That even though this has been a long (laughs) and exhausting conversation at times, it is still worth having. Because we have to remember that even though it may feel repetitive at times, we are no stranger to excellence and to triumph. And we have not been losing In this conversation, we have been winning and we have to remember our wins, you know? We do all the time, like every day. And we have to break out of this whole idea, this this popular narrative that black folk don't work together. Right. I mean, sure. that's how it's it's put out there in media and, and just subtly, like all the little stuff that you watch makes it feel like we're so apart. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're in war with ourselves. But black people have always been able to coordinate and support one another. Mm-hmm. And in, in America, our history has many stories of collective cooperation and shared economics. And it is something that is still happening today. I mean, I'm sure y'all saw that article. 19 families in Georgia bought 97 acres of land to start something. We're going to find out. Right. (laughs) Um, And speaking of starting something, Akon, I know y'all remember his hits, but he's been doing big work back in Africa. And uh, he just was donated a bunch of land in Senegal and he started Akon City. 
Right. And there is some really good media footage out there right now that and renders that he's put together to really show this futuristic, like crazy in, in the best way possible looking city that's going to have all these sectors and all of these these facilities to help and support uh, the, the area. And, and anybody who wants to live there, it's going to be this 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 real life Wakanda as he and mm. his and his investment company call it. I'm excited for that. Oh my god, that sounds so amazing. Can we just snap for the black magic? <laughs> Can we like for real, you know, so you look at you look at what he's doing and then of course Tyler Perry Studios. What? Like making history constantly, you know, just doing amazing things. And it really just reminds me of Black Wall Street. Black people have never had an issue with overcoming obstacles and exemplifying excellence. What the issue and what the challenge has always been is our safety and equal protection under the law. So the same thought narrative and uncomfortability and and might I say jealousy of who are they to have this? Who are they to to do that can be adapted into different thought narratives that may come out differently, but may come from the same source. Reverse discrimination, um, which, by the way, is, is, is not a thing. Reverse racism, is, is, that's not a thing. Right. Um, part of healing the trauma is stopping the assault. So I think it's very important that when, and I'm speaking specifically to something I mentioned earlier, where I've been getting a lot of questions, especially from, you know, my, um, my white friends, my allies who want to understand, like, what can I do? And I just want to give a little insight. It feels a little bit like when you lose a loved one and someone asks you a similar question, what can I do? How can I help? Tell me what I can do. And although the intent is there, it's the wrong question, just to be clear. If you've ever lost someone, you know the last thing you need is someone else making you responsible for them and how they behave or what they do. Instead, just show up. Show up in the best way you know how. And in this context, that looks like taking the initiative to do research and to catch up to the conversation. It's really hard to know that we've been having the same conversation for century, and all the Black people seem to have gotten the memo about our systemic oppression. But if you didn't, I think the more important question is why, and who didn't pass the message? And was that omission an intentional part of a system that is actually not broken? but working perfectly as it was designed to. These are things we need to start thinking about as we're going to continue to show up fully and effectively and openly to these conversations. We're committed. We're ready. We're committed to continue the conversation. In fact, as part of our mission, mm-hmm. you know, we're simply hoping that folks are ready to show up with us. Absolutely. And to quote Black Panther, Wise people build bridges and fools build barriers. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. (laughs) Okay, so can we just acknowledge that this episode has kind of felt like pouring out uh, 
or releasing a, a valve, right? Like just like letting some things out. And we dropped some stuff this episode for sure. And I and I and we dropped some things that carry um the feeling of grief with them. And and grief is heavy. But I want to remind everyone that it's normal and it's healthy. In fact, every feeling is normal and healthy. Rage, anger, joy, hope, disappointment, you name it. They are all necessary and valid. And as humans, it is our divine right and requirement to feel the range of these emotions. The key is giving ourselves permission to feel, to not view them as inconvenient or a sign that something is wrong with us, but to remind ourselves that we have the power to choose what to do with them so that we're proactive and purposeful and intentional about how we channel those feelings, right? Yeah, what we're saying isn't new Turn on any media outlet and you will hear some sort of conversation about all the skeletons that 2020 has dumped out of America's closet. But there are two things missing from the national conversation that we want to contribute to. First, an accurate understanding of American history. And second, an acknowledgement of the sustained trauma that it has perpetuated. History, when taught well, shows us how to improve the world. But history, when taught incompletely, cripples the social consciousness and prevents healing. Trauma denial is also a big part of why America is still stuck. And that is why we decided to rename our podcast to The American Griot. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear more about The American Griot next episode. But ultimately, you know, this new direction is to release the burden of black trauma. I mentioned it earlier um, that finding creative ways to heal. I can't emphasize that enough. You know, we have been doing our best and shout out to the survivors again, you know, who are just making it through. But sometimes you feel like you hit a wall, you know, and you just need a new perspective. You need a new way to recharge. You need to know that you're not alone, that you're not feeling what you're feeling on an island. Um, And, and you're just ready to Stop having to be what someone else tells you you should be. And you can just be the whole dualistic, complex, dynamic, amazing, diverse version of the singular you. <laughs> and that's what we want to do. And I, and I think that owning that, walking into that truth is really embodying joy. Because that's another feeling we get to own and feel. And I want to encourage us that having joy in a system that is designed to destroy us is an active form of resistance. And why? Because joy is healing energy. You need to experience that. You know, we need to experience it so we can replenish ourselves, fuel, empower ourselves forward, especially when life circumstances constantly require us to advocate and battle against something you know at all times just finding joy we want to do that yeah and our, and our spirits need to be revived as well we often talk about the power of, of sankofa going back and getting wisdom from the elders and and really digging into those and connecting with those lost stories it actually reminds me of uh Gigi, you know my mother in love 
So she gave me a book recently called Nurture Your Divine Spirit. Can I just say shout out to all of the families who have parents (laughs) and grandparents who are over the age of like 50 because that's a beautiful thing to be able to access their their knowledge and their wisdom. So she gave me this little pamphlet um, with spiritual tools and practices to help nurture your spiritual relationship with the oneness. And um, I want to share some of the quick tools with you. So there are 12 um, affirmations, which of course are affirming everything you want to receive in the world. Denials, which is very different than what you may think. It's not being in denial, but is basically identifying the thoughts that no longer serve you and giving yourself permission to declutter them, to release them and to deny them, to let them go so that the affirmations have room to take root. Creative work. And I got to say, this podcast is a part of our spiritual practice, just the creative work of creating this. I'm so glad to be back. Forgiveness, journaling, meditation with the silence. Um, Being still is a part of that silence. We often find time to get busy again. We say we don't have enough time. And the first time we got 30 minutes, we fill it up with something, right? But being still in silence is a part of just spiritual nurturing. Prayer, the Sabbath, which again is rest, um, self-care self-reflection, social action, and visioning. So what I'm actually going to do personally is take one of these like each week um, over the next 12 weeks and just really dig into them. And I'm going to share how I'm experiencing them and embodying them with you guys. What do you think about that, Keith? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got to do some of these together and some of these with our families and our children and you know, these will be in the show notes, so I encourage everybody else to, to not only to participate in a little bit, but then also maybe send us send us something and let us know how you're doing. Yeah. We, we, we want to we be there with you and also share, you know, the progress and excellence of our, our own listeners. Absolutely. Let us know how you're recharging. And, and as we move forward as the American Griot and as you listen to this podcast, all we really ask is that you put your hand in ours as we walk through these tough roads of the past and present and join us in the healing and recharging that we desperately, and I repeat, desperately owe ourselves in these times. Hey, Griots. We want to thank you so much for sharing space with us. If you enjoyed this podcast or heard something you liked, pay it forward and pass it along to someone else. We're making more episodes that celebrate our stories, so support us. Go to your preferred podcast app, rate us, and subscribe. You can also follow us on IG at The American Griot or visit the website at theamericangriot.com to get resources from the show notes or leave a comment or question on the episode. Until next time, be inspired and be on purpose. And remember to live in the now because nothing lasts forever.